0: The focus of our worship this morning is our celebration of communion. But before we get there, I want you to hear a story that you might not be very familiar with, because I think it really has something to say to us in our current situation. Last week, Pastor Beth Long Higgins told us the story of King David wanting to build a temple, and God responding that instead of King David building a temple, God would build a dynasty from King David's family. And that's a key idea for us about Jesus being the Messiah and a son of David. However, that whole dynasty idea didn't really work out very well in the short term. David's kingship involved a lot of ups and downs, including some pretty serious mistakes. Yet God continued to work through him after David, his son Solomon, became king. And Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem that David, his father, had wanted to build. That project and others, Solomon completed them using forced labor, which fulfilled the warnings that the prophet Samuel had given the people so many years before about what would happen to them if they got themselves a king like other nations. King Solomon made political alliances by marrying women from other nations. And his wives brought their religious practices with them. And eventually, the nation's faithfulness to Yahweh, the one God, was corrupted. It wasn't just that the people worshipped false gods, but it was also that they laid aside the way of life that God commanded them to live including their care for the vulnerable. That was a big problem. After Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split, and both the northern and southern kingdoms had a series of kings who were unfaithful to God and led the people down a dangerous path. When we pick up the story today, King Ahab of the northern kingdom had just married a foreign princess named Jezebel who came with her religious, economic, and social practices that were contrary to God's way. And so God sends the prophet Elijah to warn the king about his poor choice. Our story today comes from the first book of Kings, chapter 17, verses 1 through 17. Let us listen now in the reading of the scripture for the word and the wisdom of God. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, one of the settlers of Gilead, said to King Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain these years except at my word. Then the word of Yahweh came to Elijah and said, Leave this place, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the Wadi Sharif, which is east of the Jordan River. It will come about that you will drink from the wadi, and I have also commanded the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah went and did, according to the word of Yahweh. He went and lived by the wadi Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the wadi. Then it came to pass, after a while, that the wadi dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of Yahweh came to Elijah again, saying, Arise, go to the town of Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there, because I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. First the ravens, now the widow. So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. Now when he came to the town gate, to his surprise, a widow was there, gathering sticks. So he called to her and said, Please bring a little water that I may have a drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, please bring me also a morsel of bread from your hand. And she said, as Yahweh, your God lives, I have nothing. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a little bit of oil in the jug. Now look, I'm here gathering sticks so that I may go and prepare that last little bit of food for myself and my son and we're going to eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Fear not. Go and do as you said, but first make me a little cake from what you have there. Bring it out to me, and afterwards make some for you and your son. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jug of oil be empty until the day that Yahweh sends rain on the earth. So she went and did, according to the word of Elijah. And she, and he, and all her household ate for many days. And the jar of flour did not run out, nor did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of Yahweh which he spoke through Elijah." This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. This story is the setup for a major confrontation that the prophet Elijah is going to have with Jezebel's prophets of Baal in the next chapter to prove once and for all who is God. The god Baal in the ancient world was the god of the rain. And his worshippers believed that each year during the dry season, Baal died and then came back to life. And the rains came back. So when God stops the rain, it's a direct statement against the power of Baal. Jezebel had been leading the people into worshiping the God Baal. And so God takes this direct action that says, there's no God Baal. I'm the one that controls the rain. It's pretty effective. I mean, you can imagine the prophets of Baal are going nuts to try to figure out what has happened to their God and the rain. But the problem is that this drought doesn't just affect King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. It affects everyone in the region, including the guy who prophesied it. So Elijah winds up in the desert, living next to a stream, a wadi, that only runs during the rainy season. And so eventually it dries up. God had been sending Elijah bread and meat twice a day, which, by the way, was a pretty high-class menu. But humans can't live without water. So God told Elijah to go somewhere else to get what he needed. What I want us to consider this morning is that this is a story of faith, of trust, on the part of Elijah and on the part of the widow. So first, let's look at Elijah and his trust. The command to go somewhere new is the quintessential journey of faith. There are so many stories in the Bible that start with God telling someone to leave what is familiar and safe and go somewhere new and unfamiliar. God doesn't send Elijah back to Israel, back to what's familiar— God sends him to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Queen Jezebel is from Sidon. The people of Sidon are Baal worshipers. And this is where God is going to meet Elijah's needs. Now, there are some faith communities, you may have grown up in one, that seem to teach that God is always going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. Like, if you really don't want to be a missionary to India, that's what God's going to tell you to do. I don't think that's the way God works, but we cannot deny that there are plenty of stories where God sends people to uncomfortable places. Not because God is mean, but because something good is waiting for us in that uncomfortable place. For whatever reason, I don't know why we're designed this way, it's very annoying, but we do not grow spiritually or mentally or emotionally when everything is status quo. We don't grow when it's easy. We don't grow when everything is familiar and we're just plodding along. We grow when things get tough when the world doesn't look like we want, when we don't get what we thought we should get, and when we're forced to interact with people who are really different than we are. That's when we grow, like Elijah, plopped down in the middle of this region of Baal worshipers. And as we approach Election Day on Tuesday, and the anxiety and the outrage continues to ratchet up on both sides of the aisle, this story reminds us that the hard seasons are when we have the greatest opportunity for growth. And also that sometimes what we need is going to come from the person we disagree with the most. And if we avoid that person, if we refuse to listen, if we won't go to the hard place, we could miss out on something that God has for us. Ugh, right? It's my favorite. Next, let's look at the widow and her trust. There's a few cues in the chapter that suggest to us that the widow was usually pretty well off. She has a household, she has a son. A little bit later in the story, we see that she's got a house that has two stories. But this drought had done her in. In our current context, we might say that she was middle class and doing all right usually, but not stable enough to survive a catastrophic disruption to her livelihood, like a wildfire, or a hurricane, or a pandemic she has exhausted all of her other options and so when she met elijah she was gathering enough wood to go home make a fire cook what little was left of her food for herself and her son and then she thought really truly they were going to die what i want you to see is that this woman was at the very end of her rope she's done everything she knows how to do she's worked every side hustle She's spent her stimulus check, she's been thrifty, and she's done. This was the end of the line for her. She did not know what else she could possibly do. And yet, she's not done being generous. She gave a stranger a drink of water. And when that stranger told her that God was going to provide for her, she trusted him. And what he says to her is pretty bold, frankly. He says, don't be afraid. First, make me some bread with the little bit that you have left. Then make some for yourself and your son. And after that, you will continue to have enough. And I told Mary earlier this week that obviously the moral of the story is that if you always let the pastor eat first at the potluck, there's going to be enough for everybody. (laughs) This woman, who we assume was a Baal worshiper, was saved, literally rescued from starvation because she chose to be generous. In that moment, she could have said, I don't know you. I don't trust you. I don't have enough to share with you. You got yourself into this situation. You better get yourself out of it. But no. She took the risk. She stepped out in faith, trusting in a God she had never seen, that if she chose to be generous, she would have enough. And that's a powerful story for us. Always, but perhaps especially in this season. We often, I often, allow my fear of scarcity to interfere with my generosity. We think we don't have enough. Sometimes, like this woman, we can see that we literally don't have enough. And so we don't want to share. After all, that's the wise thing to do. I'm going to take care of me and mine, and so I don't have to ask for help. But this story reminds us That God can do something amazing with the very little that we do have when we are willing to share it. The best way to combat our fear of scarcity is by being generous, even if it's just a little bit. And I want to end by pointing out exactly what the widow gets in return for her generosity, because this is really important. She does not get a high-class menu of bread and meat twice a day. She gets a jar of flour that always seems to have just enough for today's bread, and a jug of oil that always seems to have just a few drips left in it. Not an abundance, not a brimming jar and an overflowing jug, but just enough just enough for the day and this time just enough is god's miraculous provision for her the stories in the bible continue to hook me because i keep seeing myself in them and i wonder where you see yourself in this story this morning are you somewhere uncomfortable this morning Maybe God has called you there, or maybe you feel like Joseph in Egypt, you've been dragged there against your will. Are you having to interact with people you disagree with? Or maybe, right now, you're living with just enough. Not the abundance you're used to, or that you think God should give you but just enough. Maybe this morning, God is inviting you to see God's care in that just enough. Maybe you're feeling challenged to be generous, trusting that what feels like not enough for you is actually just enough for you and for someone else who needs it.